there. Are you a content creator? Quarter.tv sounds like the place for you. I can hear you thinking, well, what about YouTube? Let's face it. YouTube is all corporate these days. They don't care about the small creator. They don't care about how much work you pour into your content, how much time you spend making it better. All YouTube cares about are the big-time media stars and people with tons of subscribers. Never mind the fact that they artificially inflate those subscriber numbers by paying for them. Never mind the fact that they will shadow ban you for something while the big names get promoted. Never mind that they claim freedom of speech, but will ban you for having an idea that doesn't fall in with their opinions. Thank God for Quarter. Quarter allows you to keep your voice and will allow you to grow. There's no algorithm, so you don't have to worry about being banned or having your content removed for something silly. At Quarter, you own all rights to your content. YouTube can keep its wannabe television nonsense. The future for content creators is Quarter.tv. Remember, that's Quarter.tv, where your voice is respected.
You're muted, my friend. Oh, it's just been that kind of day, Brett. Welcome to God TV Radio. I'm GTOR, and this is Brett Keem. Yeah. The man who has gone by many names over the years. Some have called you Wolfman. Others have called you the boogeyman of the internet. Others just call you Brett. Yeah, it was because I started doing some clips where I would howl like, you know, stuff like that. Silly. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, the atheists will make, like, their little Brett Keen exposed fan wiki pages and try to make some huge deal out of it. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, he felt so self-conscious of his lack of attractiveness, so he tried to portray himself as a wolf man. That's, well, I actually was on video. The only difference between the way I looked was I did a howl every once in a while. But you're right. And it's always, it's funny and ironic at the same time because I've made over a thousand videos where I appear on camera where most of the people who are complaining haven't made over 50. See what I mean? Yeah. And that's one thing you've pointed out over the years that I've noticed too is that sometimes a lot of the biggest critics we get, people who complain about our physical appearance or our equipment setup or our streaming setup or the way we produce our content, a lot of the people who are like the biggest critics of that, like 80, 90% of the time turn out to be people who have accounts, but they don't actually make videos or have subs. <laughs> Well, to be honest with you, TTOR, when people first, like in the first couple of years of going after my physical features, it did bother me a little bit. And I even ad admitted that. But then I noticed that they also uh, say that people like Tom Cruise and Tom Selleck are ugly. And I figure, well, goodness gracious, these people are just hateful to anybody they don't agree with. So. Yeah, I guess in their eyes, as soon as your ideologies or your worldviews start to uh, contradict each other, that's when all physical attractiveness just poof, disappears like a fart in the wind. And suddenly you went from absolutely beautiful to downright butt ugly, even though nothing about you changed physically. I hear you, and it's funny because it comes from the group who claims to be rational and logical and that all these other things are divisive, like religion. But the only ones that are actually divisive are the people who are seemingly against religion and everything else. Yeah, that tends to be the pattern in these days that we're in. Often, the, and it's not just this, too. I mean, it's all manner of things. I mean, basically... I'd say about 90, 95% of the things that atheists and evolutionists say in condemnation of Christians or creationists or conservatives or evil orange man supporters, etc. 90 95% of the time, the things they say in condemnation are things that they themselves are guilty of. It's almost like they think that projecting themselves onto somebody else is going to make them better or at least make them feel better 
They used to have a guy who would make comments every single day. He would spam with how ugly he thought I was, how stupid I sounded, the whole nine yards. And then one day I decided, man, this guy's really mean to my feelings. He's giving me a sad. I'm going to go check out his YouTube channel. The guy couldn't talk. He had Asperger's, apparently. And he looked like if he could enter a Freddy Krueger lookalike contest, he may win the pageant. So I was like, why is this guy talking to me like this for? You know, he's no uh, better roses. He's not winning any kind of beauty pageants himself. Yeah, that's when things get fun and you just start to giggle because that's all you can really do in that situation when you're dealing with someone like that. You ever had an atheist who's about 500 pounds of pure cruelty and meanness making fun of the way you look? It's it's weird. It's like I could honestly get my feelings hurt if it was Tom Cruise insulting me, but not when there's someone so huge actually making fun of my weight. I told this one guy, I said, you're way bigger than me. If you died tomorrow and they were to attach a door to you, I could live in you like a Smurf hotel. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I know that too. But that does make me think. And oh, by the way, hello, Dark Moon. <laughs> but what you say does make me think about all the atheists and evolutionists who have uh, interacted with me, made video responses to me, had back and forth with me, etc. I don't know what Professor Stick looks like physically. I don't know what Vice Rhino or Sir Sick look like physically. But I do know kind of what steve mcgree looks like i know what Apologia looks like i know what shane and q looks like and i know what some of the other ones look like and they're not like uh it's kind of weird how they're actually fairly normal they're not like these huge you know 500 pound jet ski weight you know people walking around they're actually fairly normal i just yeah. must, have, uh, must have the good fortune to not have come across uh, the drunken peasants <laughs> yeah yeah, well, there's a lot of non-believers that are like that. There's two different groups out there. There's the group who hates God, yet they'll claim up and down they don't believe in him, but they'll spend all their short-lived days talking about it. And then there's the ones that make money off of it and profit, the ones who get to go out to assemblies. And for some reason, people actually see them as somewhat relevant to even debate with, like Matt Dillahunty and such. To me... You know, I, I don't get it. When they call us fat and ugly and you look at their, their guys like Aaron Ron, Matt Dillahunty, you look like Mr. Potato Head and something out of the Adams family. It's like, are you kidding me? Seriously? <laughs> oh, uh, when I was on X earlier today or maybe it was yesterday, I came across a post regarding Albert Einstein that I thought you'd get a real kick out of because I know in some of your content, you always like to point out how Albert Einstein is just one of many scientists who basically founded modern science and how he believed in God. Well, some religious skeptic and or atheist, or maybe they're both, decided to make a post about Albert Einstein allegedly saying something that I thought, man, you know, I got to show this to Brett Keen and see what he thinks. Let me just put it up on screen here really quick. I think it's this. Yeah, it's this one. So as you can see here on screen, we got a person named Blue Devil, which I can't pronounce that handle or his in parentheses name, saying to someone, Nancy, your claim has no factual basis. No matter what you say, biblical staples like sorcery, necromancy, and demons don't contribute to a scientific worldview. Einstein was right. And then we have an alleged Einstein quote where he says, 
the word God for me is for me nothing more than the expression and product of human weakness, the Bible, the collection of honorable but still primitive legends. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can for me change this. Then... So, so for, for people out there that don't know, in case 223 hasn't been good to you on this and you live under a rock, there's things out there called meme generators. I could take a picture of TTOR right now, throw it through the meme generator, and then simply um, put whatever nonsense I want to it with the name of the person. Like I could put Hitler on there and have it say that he enjoyed church last Sunday. That's what atheists do. Now, you'll notice if you look at any of the images I put up of scientists, I have the page numbers, the books, the sources where you can find the quote. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. And it's, and you're right about the meme maker thing, but I sit here looking at this as someone who makes my own graphic designs for my content and I do this for a living at my job. I could very easily not only recreate this meme myself, and make it something totally ridiculous and yet look like it's real, I could make it look physically more appealing than the way this person did it. You know, like use the cool text and use some crazy looking fonts for the text instead of just basic, bold, Times New Roman font like this person did. Honestly, though, uh, and this is going to come off cold-blooded, but uh, even if Albert Einstein and all his God quotes and everything he ever said, if... Uh, atheists wanted to claim him, I wouldn't care. This is the same guy who invented the atom bomb. He's the one that created uh, something that killed millions of people along with, uh, what is that, Oppenheimer or whatever his name is. So if they wanted to go along with that, fine. He's your atheist if you want him. <laughs> right. Well, plus two, even in the best case scenario that my you know creative imagination can think of, even if this quote of his was 100% legit, I would bet 20 bucks that it was early on, earlier on in his life that he said it, and that the God quotes that you have for him came later in his life, after he had, you know, lived more and done more discoveries and, you know, observed the world around him for a longer period of time. I could totally imagine him saying this in his younger years. Well, there's a lot of scientists as well as comedians that would probably surprise atheists. I remember for the longest time, even I thought this. I thought George Carlin, one of the greatest philosopher comedians out there, I used to think that he was an atheist because he mocked religion and all that. But he did an interview on, uh, what's that guy's name, Larry King? You know who he is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said that, oh, atheism's a religion. I don't believe in any of that nonsense and all that. And he said there very well could be a God. And he made it clear, abundantly clear, he wasn't an atheist. And that shocked me. Carl Sagan's another one that the atheists like to say is theirs. He had his moments where he said some stuff. He did the whole Sky Daddy routine. But as he got older, he started talking about how the cosmos have the appearance of design. Richard Dawkins talked about that as well. Yeah, that's a pretty common theme for people who actually observe the reality around us. I still remember uh, back in the 80s, uh, there was an evolutionist guy named Douglas Fuchiyama who wrote a book, Evolution on Trial. And in this particular book, uh, he made the case that if 
young earth creationism were to be true, then when we look at the fossil record, what we should see is animals and animal groups, at least, you know, the vast majority, if not all of them, when they enter the fossil record, they should be fully formed, fully developed with no evidence of any kind of evolutionary ancestry or ancestors. And if evolution is true, that's what you should see is all that stuff. Well, just a couple of years later, Richard Dawkins puts out his book, The Blind Watchmaker, and he writes that the fossil record looks literally how Douglas Fuchiyama said it would look if young earth creationism was true, and that therefore creationists are probably delighted by this news. And so, yeah, when you look at people who actually observe the reality around us, even those in the atheist evolutionist camp, even they, when they are honest with themselves, will admit reality has the appearance of design. And in this particular case, reality has the appearance you would expect if young earth creationism was true, which is basically the evolutionist's worst nightmare, which is why they rage against it so much, because they can't stand the idea of that being true and that there's actually good evidence for it. So, yeah. Well, one of the, the things, too, and I did a video recently talking about evolution a little bit, is uh, I don't understand why atheists see it as a friend of theirs or something, or something that they should get behind so much. Because even Darwin himself said that he believed evolution to be a guided process, that he believed that a mind was required in order for the whole deal to work. Now, sure, Darwin said some other ignorant things and all that, but in his autobiography, he believed that there was a intelligent life form behind all of this. So the point is, is that if you were to get an atheist in here right now and ask them, is evolution based upon variables and patterns? Is it a consistent guiding process? I mean, once they go down that rabbit hole, it's over. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, that also reminds me of uh, Darwin to Jesus's testimony about when he be as an atheist and then he started doing more deep thinking and research into philosophy and other scientific related topics. And basically his, one of his atheist friends that he trusted told him to his face that if he continued to do this kind of inquiry, that he wouldn't be an atheist for much longer, thus proving to a degree that atheism is reliant on ignorance in order to be maintained. Like, yes, the arguments they make, they sound great at first glance, or they sound great if you don't think too deeply about it. But then as, as soon as you start thinking deeply about it, that's when it starts to break down. And that's when you can't maintain your atheistic worldview anymore. And that's when the atheists go into the whole, oh, you're just, you know, insert the ad hom. Right. I hear you there. There's a couple things that people can do whenever they're debating or they're in a quick argument like on Twitter or something with an atheist. Like, for instance, if an atheist says something like something is evil or something about religion or God is evil, ask them where they get the moral framework to be able to make that kind of condemnation or judgment. And ask them, where does evil and good come from? See, even William Lane Craig would argue that as long as you're arguing that there's objective evil in the world, there's got to be an opposite to the spectrum. There has to be objective good. Evil itself could be the proof of God. Strange, huh? Yeah, because, you know, if atheism's true, I mean, there's no such thing as good and evil in any kind of objective sense outside the human mind. 
good and evil in that case would be subjective. They would be dependent upon the human mind or the group of human minds that were creating these values, which, you know, you might be great at de- at condemning people within that particular subjective moral system. But as soon as you try to condemn someone else who abides by a completely different moral system that's subjective in nature also, then it falls apart. You lose all ability to condemn anyone because your definitions, your values have no meaning outside of your little artificial construct that you've created and has no power over someone else's construct. So, yeah, it becomes impossible to objectively condemn other cultures or other people groups who subscribe to different uh, moral values. You want to know another one that you'll probably get a kick out of. It's one of the simplest tricks in the world. I don't know if it would be considered a trick, but if they say I'm more logical than you and rational, which they like to boast about a lot, say, well, I would be interested in hearing you explain to me what rationality and logic is. How does the process function within your consciousness and mind and its origin? I'd like to know that. And uh, also, doesn't it require a mind in order for rationality and logic to exist? Another rabbit hole, see? Right. Right, because, yeah, in order for logic and rationality to exist, if they're not eternal, if they haven't always been there, you know, like a eternal God, if they have any kind of origin at all, they have to start somewhere and as far as we can see in our observed existence, uh, observe, like logic, rationale, reason, that kind of stuff always comes from a mind, especially a human mind. I mean, we don't know the thoughts exactly of most animals, but it's hard to believe that most, if any of them, have anywhere close to the kind of thoughts that we have in terms of rationality and logic and reason anything beyond a very rudimentary you know sense-based i'm sure i guess i'm sure you've probably heard of this guy before uh john lennox one of the greatest Mm -hmm. mathematicians alive in the world he debated uh richard dawkins and i never heard any christians actually use this debate tactic that he used but he asked Richard Dawkins, and he also said that he wrote a letter to Stephen Hawking asking if the universe is logical and rational. Now, this puts Richard Dawkins in a pretty pretty tight spot because if he says that it's a universe of chaos with no order or law in it, then there's no reason why his evolution should work or the cosmos or anything. If he does say it, then the next question is, isn't a mind required for logic and rationality to exist? You can't get that out of an inanimate object or a, a puddle of slug mud. You know what I mean? Yep, that is definitely the truth. But as far as logic and rationality goes, then there's the flip side, which is the emotional side. And typically what you see atheists and evolutionists do, once again in almost a projectionist fashion, is they like to claim that basically people like me and people like you, well, you know, emotional appeals is what got us to embrace the worldview that we did. And it's actually the absence of logic and reason and rationality and evidence that not only allowed us to adhere to the worldviews you and I have today, but it's also how we stay there. And yet what we find is actually the opposite is true. I actually have this post on X that I came across recently from another Christian 
that I thought really hit the nail on the head. And it even made me think of your story as far as how you became an atheist, like that whole history of Brett Keane video you did. Yeah. But but this is what uh, Derek wrote, Derek Beeler. I believe radical change in viewpoint or worldview often, not always, starts emotionally and then moves to the intellectual to justify it. I saw Jacqueline Glenn's story of becoming an atheist. Very emotional in its beginning, and the intellectual came later. I've watched Christians deconstruct for emotional reasons, like evangelical support for evil orange man, or COVID policies, or church hurt, and the intellectual came later. In essence, we like to believe what we want to be true, and wants are often emotional. And I have seen that plenty of times, especially when I knew people who were Christians and then they left the faith because, oh, well, you know, the people at this church were total hypocrites or these people at this church, you know, offended me or hurt me or screwed me over in some way. I've seen and heard that a lot. And like Derek points out, that's a pretty emotional reaction and it's not an intellectual one because... At that point, you would think, okay, let's compare what these so-called Christians are doing to the Bible to see if what they're doing comes from that biblical worldview or if it's something that's condemned by their own worldview and they're just being rebels against God towards me. But a lot of people don't do that kind of deep thinking because the emotional part really gets to them first and it kind of drowns out the intellectual And then like Derek points out, after they've changed worldviews based on an entirely emotional reason, then they realize, crap, I need the intellectual justification to stay in this position. And so they start constructing around that what was originally an emotional conversion. Well, a lot of uh, atheists like this guy on Twitter, I mean, first of all, there's nothing wrong with emotionally getting involved with something. There's nothing wrong with our emotions unless you're actually out hurting someone based upon your emotions. I never understood that argument. Oh, my ear, you know, you did it because your feelings or you're doing it because you're scared or you're doing it because you're angry. Well, a lot of inventions get created in order to make people feel emotionally better. And they're true. They're real. Number two, uh, let's try this out. If you and I right now were to agree that we absolutely, we love Christmas, but we don't believe in an actual Santa Claus, is that Mm -hmm. going to make us smarter or more intelligent simply because we say something doesn't exist? Does all of a sudden our IQ jump up to like Peterson value all of a sudden on the spectrum because we say something isn't real? I feel no. my IQ going up by 50 points, Brett. Right. <laughs> if I if I say that a hundred things and stuff in this world that people have spoken about, I just simply don't agree with it or I don't believe in it unless I see evidence. This doesn't somehow all of a sudden make me have a scientific mind or some kind of genius because I say I don't like something or agree with it. That's the point. So I don't know where they get this idea. A lot of these people, like this guy, for instance, 10 bucks says he never even made it through high school. But well, now, he, go ahead. Derek. Derek's actually a Christian. He was just making like a general commentary on conversions on one side oh, or the other. I must have been thinking about the other tweet that you put up. You, okay. man, you look at a lot of Twitter feeds there, guy, but you get my yeah. point. Yeah, I get your point completely. Yeah, it's totally valid. Just figured I'd point out that little thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
But, man, yeah. What were we just talking about again? My brain just had a reset moment. Well, we were talking about uh, how emotions are not, uh, it's not some kind of condemning thing. I mean, it's uh, especially like uh, when you uh, when you met your woman for the first time, you're still going out in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You were probably drawn to her through emotions and all that, and all the other stuff came later. It's just the way it is. That's the way it naturally works. doesn't mean emotions are wrong or they're temperamental. You know, someone has a, a feeling about something or an instinct or what they call, and it's not cliche, I had a gut feeling about this. How many times have people been right about those instincts and gut feelings? And why do they even exist in the first place would be my question. Right. Why would you have a gut instinct? And why is it that sometimes your gut instinct is more correct than your rationalization away of those instincts are? <laughs> It's definitely one of life's great mysteries if you're an atheist. One of the reasons why Christians survive so long is because we've been able to emphasize and extend on something that could be a possible danger that we may have not even engaged yet. Isn't that interesting? Darwin even spoke about it, how we have this ability to look forward into the future of something that might be posed as a threat. Before it's even happened, our brain is capable of doing that. That's something a computer can't even do. Yep, that is very true. Very true indeed. Yeah, of course, you know, the way that they're trying to develop AI, I'm sure at some point they're going to have an AI system that's going to be able to as close as possible do that. But even if they get it to that point, it's still really complicated and hard to do. And There's no way that something like that can just naturally evolve over a undefined unobservable long period of time like they want us to believe in school and academia and all that well they they do have uh they do have some ai that are able to do something kind of like it called prediction analysis where it's able to uh put forth some idea of how something could possibly be but it doesn't have the ability to do that like let's say that you and i are out camping and we hear some noise, our brain is immediately going to come up with an image of, oh, damn, is it a bear? Could it be some kind of migrant who's armed to the teeth who's coming into our camp? We can't see them yet, but we hear the sounds, and our brain's already manufacturing ideas of what it could be. A computer doesn't have the ability to do that. If you tell it it's a bear, it'll turn around and tell you what a bear can do to you and how to maul you. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, but now I remembered exactly what I was thinking about with this whole emotional talk. So I don't experience emotions like normal people do due to being on the high, and I emphasize high-functioning end of the autism spectrum. But I do experience emotions. And so when I look at the kind of stuff that people experience that causes them to deconvert from Christianity to atheism, for example, my brain just can't go there. I mean, even when I used to be an older creationist in my early 20s, and then when I was 24 and a half years old, I ended up having a short season of time where I ended up converting from older creationism to younger creationism. There was a very brief moment when I realized for me, oh, wow, these older creationist apologist figures that I looked up to and 
was getting a lot of my information from and thought they were really good, godly people. Not only are they wrong about these things regarding origins, but they're not even being honest with the scriptures after they spend all their time talking about how important it is to accurately represent what the Bible says. And I had this brief, you know, emotional response that's like, holy crap, I've been so wrong about this. But then click, it was gone, just like a fleeting thought. And then rational part of my brain took over and I embraced young earth creationism back then and been going over nine years since that time. But yeah, I had a, I had an emotional reaction in that time, but it, it was so fleeting and brief. I mean, in retrospect, I'm thinking that what I was experiencing can't be that normal for most people, or at least for a lot of people. I have a, a lot of friends on both sides who have claimed to be on the spectrum of autism and all that, and they seem to all believe that they feel in a different way than, than what they call normal people do, and I don't see it. I see that whenever, like, a, if yourself, if you were to lose someone you care about, it would affect you majorly, emotionally, probably just as bad as uh, someone else. So what is it that you think is different the way you feel than someone that you would classify or define as normal exactly? Well, you kind of touched on it, like extreme things that would cause anyone to cry or be really sad, you know, death of a loved one, death of a family member. Or, you know, you lose all your worldly possessions due to some horrific accident. Or you get in a car accident. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff, would you know, rattles me like a normal person. But like the minor annoyances of life that in today's age would just set some people off. That kind of stuff, like, doesn't even phase me. Like, even the stuff that some people would, like, find really annoying and it would, like, sour their mood. I kind of look at it and just kind of like chuckle and be like, ha, and then it just kind of rolls off of me. And I just, you know, keep moving forward, doing whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. It's just, the, it's the smaller things that, you know, normal people might be miffed at or get some aggravation over. For some reason, that stuff doesn't bother me as much. Well, it shouldn't, especially since you're a social media guy. You, you are constantly absorbing all these uh, terrible stories and weird. Are you still there? You kind of froze. Oh, you look like you froze for a moment. But point is, is that you've seen a lot of things go down. And I think that uh, whether you define someone as normal or not, you become desensitized. After you've been called a name a hundred times, uh, you hear it again. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, just rolls down your back. I don't think that that's abnormal or any different than the way a normal person would uh, react to it. Yeah. And that's probably also because normal people, well, let me rephrase this. The number of content creators in the world, even though there's a lot of us, we're a minority compared to what we would call the normies who don't make content. So because they don't have that exposure that like you and I have to all these different stimuli and all these different aggravations, I guess I'll call them. I guess they're more sensitive to it when it happens and they haven't been desensitized enough to let it roll off of them. So I think that's kind of what I'm understanding at this point. <clears throat> uh, you've seen it. 
you've uh, you've experienced enough to where you know when to react and when not to and all that. I think that that's perfectly normal. Thanks, uh, atheists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel like they've really. I I think that because of the existence of atheists, a lot of Christians have uh, stepped up their game, especially in debates. I think that they've gotten to the point where they're starting to realize that sometimes there's some people you just can't reason or rationalize with. You know, well, like what did uh, Bruce Wayne's butler say in The Dark Knight? He said, some people just want to see the world burn. Mm -hmm. Yep, I remember that movie very well. It's one of my all-time favorites. Especially when you look at Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker. I saw that villain and that particular portrayal and I thought, wow, that is what a real atheist looks like. Well, to be a lot of them look up to the guy. They look up to the character. I remember when Heath Ledger was a, a pretty man in movies. He wasn't getting as much love, but he suddenly becomes this chaotic clown that's killing people and burning money and basically saying to hell with the system and all that. And they're rooting and tooting for him. They like that. Yeah, I have this book called God on the Streets of Gotham. I forget what the author's name is, but basically he did like a deep theological analysis of like all batman media and what it can teach us about god and ourselves and you know how we relate to all that and he had a really nice section talking about heath ledger's joker and about how basically uh atheists at first would agree with him about the godless nature of the universe because when you listen to heath ledger's joker in the dark knight you very much come away with the idea that he doesn't believe any kind of God exists and that things are what they are and everything's chaos because, you know, that's what you get if evolution in billions of years and deep time is true. You just get random chance chaos over time. And so atheists were on board with that. But then the Joker being consistent with atheism basically took it to a length where people are like, wait a minute now, we can't go along with that. Namely what the Joker did in that movie through his actions and words is he basically said, you know, yeah, there is no God. We live in a godless universe that has no objective morality, but any one of you that try to make up your own little self-righteous moral code, it's all a bad joke. It doesn't really exist. There's no point in making up some kind of subjective moral system. If there is no objective moral standard that exists outside the human mind, and that's the part where atheists and evolutionists start to back away from their embrace of the Joker as a character because he's willing to go to the logical conclusion that atheism leads you to, but that most atheists and evolutionists aren't willing to actually, at least in public, verbalize and go to. Mainly, he acts as if everything is subjective and that you don't have the ability to condemn his actions because... You know, we live in a godless universe where no one's held accountable ultimately for what they do. So you should just live however you want. And if that involves, you know, putting on clown makeup and a purple suit with no labels and going around murdering mobsters and ripping people off of their money and getting into epic fist fights with vigilantes, well then, what's it to you? That's basically the philosophy of the Joker character in that movie. Yeah. That is for sure. But there is some interesting things where the uh, 
I guess people didn't notice it where he does kind of contradict himself. Well, he is supposed to be like a sociopath or crazy, but when he's sitting in that uh, room with Batman and he says, Oh, I don't, I don't want to get rid of you. You complete me. Basically he's saying that he needs somebody like Batman around with a moral framework. So he has something to bounce off. If it wasn't for Batman, even in the comic books, it shows uh, like there's comic books in an alternative universe. What if the Joker managed to somehow kill old Batman or Batman was killed mm -hmm. by accident? The Joker goes out of his mind. He loses it because he doesn't have that moral framework to bounce off anymore. Yeah. And the context of the Dark Knight movie, though, the book I was referring to also had an analysis of that. Basically, Batman represents to the Joker, you know, justice. He's like, in some sense, morally pure, or at least he represents something pure. And so the Joker's obsession with him is to basically try to knock Batman down to his level. But the problem is, is that he can't. And so that's why he went after Harvey Dent in the movie is because he knew he couldn't bring Batman down to his level and he knew he couldn't beat Batman in a fist fight. So he had to drag someone else down to Joker's level to be his ace in the hole. And that ended up being Harvey Dent in that movie. But you're right though, about the different versions of the Joker. I mean, I don't know how many Batman cartoons and comics and whatnot that you've read, but there's been several different versions of the Batman universe where the Joker and Batman are talked about as being two sides of the same coin. That basically Batman and Joker, while they have different theatrics and they have different costumes and you know, one's a vigilante who fights criminals and the other is the worst of the worst criminal, but fundamentally at their core, they're really the same. And that's why in the Batman Arkham Knight video game, spoiler alert, when Batman was having hallucinations of the Joker all around him, his great fear was that he was slowly turning into the Joker. And over the course of the game, your character over the course of the story starts to lose control every time he's exposed further to Scarecrow's hallucination gases. And then at the the end of the game in order to beat the scarecrow he actually gives in to his fear and he for a brief period of time actually does become the joker at least in his noggin which leads to a crazy ending to that game but batman and joker in many different uh, versions of the story have been seen as two sides of the same coin and that the two really could be each other's could live each other's life there's even an episode of uh the cartoon show from the mid 2000s called the Batman where the Joker got tired of Batman always spoiling his evil schemes. So he decided to just become Batman himself. And then he tried to kill Batman off with some Joker venom, which was causing Batman to become like the Joker for a brief little period of time until he died from, you know, all the stuff that Joker venom does to people. <laughs> Uh, mainly caused them to, you know, have the stiff body and the rigid smile, and basically they suffocate because they can't breathe anymore. So, yeah. well, as far as uh, comic books and cartoons and movies, I uh, I grew up. There was a uh, I lived in the city, and there was a comic book place right down the road, and I'd go there and read them all. I'll be honest with you, and hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but I didn't care give a rat's ass for Marvel comic books. 
the Captain America scene or anything. And I wasn't a super huge fan of Superman either. Batman was my guy. And the reason why was because this was a human who was basically doing things based upon his instinct and his human abilities. And that that really uh, did it for me. Superman was too glorified, too OP. I don't think it was until Christopher Reeve's Superman movie where I really started going, ah, now I see the appeal. And then Henry Cavill, I was like, yeah. But Batman was always my guy. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. Uh, I was never really that big a fan of the general Marvel universe. Like, I liked Spider-Man and his story. But it's mostly mostly because, you know, he's an angsty teen that a lot of people can relate to. And that's also why a lot of people, uh, Batman appeals to a lot of people, too, is because, I mean, yeah, he's like super duper duper rich, like Elon Musk rich. And, you know, he's trained his body to where he's basically at the peak of human physicality and athletic ability. But at his core, he has no superpowers. And in that sense, he's just like every one of us. And so when you see Batman... Not just in his own universe, but then he starts crossing over with the other DC characters and he's fighting all the same monstrous alien villains that they are. And you see how a normal human stacks up in those scenarios. Batman's a really appealing character in that regard because a lot of people look at him and think, dang, well, if I had that much money and if I had, you know, all that time and opportunity to train my body to the point where I'm, you know, strong and fast and can hit hard and know all these martial arts and stuff, well, then I could do it too, in theory. And that's what I think draws a lot of people about Batman. You know, a lot of people don't think about this whenever it comes to Batman, but, um, you know, besides seeing his witness and his parents being killed right in front of him, nobody ever thinks about this part. When little Bruce Wayne goes back to the mansion, that's not his home. That's his parents' home. So he's walking around in a house filled with pictures of his parents and constantly reminded every second of the day that they used to live there and they're dead. Usually if somebody loses like their family or somebody, if they don't manage to have a psychiatric breakdown, they try to move away from that place or get rid of the material, but not him. All the way up into his adulthood, he was reminded of that loss. Yeah, and that reminds me, too, of the movie Batman Begins, because there's that part explaining his whole backstory before he became Batman, where he returns to Gotham to be in the crowd at the trial of Joe Chill, the guy who murdered his parents because they were going to let him off early in exchange for his testimony in regards to, you know, some crime boss and... Yeah, when Bruce went to his house before the trial, basically he's walking through with Alfred. Alfred's talking to him and trying to convince him that Wayne Manor is his house. It's not his parents' house anymore. And basically, Bruce didn't want anything to do with it. He saw the house as his parents' house. He didn't see it as his own home. He even told Alfred that if he had his way, he'd pull the whole house down brick for brick because he didn't view it as his home at that point in his life. He viewed it as, well, this was my parents' home, but my parents are dead, and you know, I've been abroad for so long, it just doesn't feel like home anymore. So I, I think that I think of that scene in that movie when you were talking about what you just said. Yeah, well, I hear you there. Yeah, I've seen me a lot of Batman, and then of course, whenever I uh, brought children into the world, I wanted to introduce them to a lot of the cool superheroes I liked. 
But uh, unfortunately, um, I even though I wasn't a big fan of Marvel, and I did check out Spider-Man, I, I didn't have any hate towards Spider-Man, but it really wasn't until the movies where I really started going, yeah, especially the stuff with uh, Thanos. I was like, damn, that's rough. Yeah, I never did get around to seeing the Endgame movies, but yeah. Oh, yeah, you I should. Think... You should. It's it is really really good. Now, like I said, I wasn't a Marvel guy, but I sat down with my son and my daughter and watched the Avengers, and it's uh, definitely emotional. It's captivating. It's it's a pretty powerful story. Yeah. Although you know, it's funny now that I think about it. When you think about general superhero stories, the element of tragedy in the li- in their lives, their superhuman abilities, and even their moral weaknesses, in which case a lot of the modern comics, they like to portray the heroes as being lust-filled degenerates who are just looking to bang when they're not battling the bad guys. When you think about all of those kind of things that are going on in modern superhero stories, and then you look at people in the Bible like Samson, you begin to realize that modern-day superheroes are very loosely based on people like Samson who really existed in space-time history. I mean, you look at Samson from the Book of Judges. He was judge over Israel for 20 years. He, you know, wanted to marry a Philistine woman instead of, you know, doing whatever it was he was doing at the time. And then right as he was about to marry her, the Philistines... They get her to betray him in that whole riddle contest they had at their wedding. And they threatened her and her father with death if she didn't comply with their demand. And so she did what they asked, but then they ended up killing her anyway. And so then in response, Samson, uh, you know, goes into mourning. And then he's captured and given over to the Philistines. And that leads to the big battle where he kills a thousand Philistine soldiers with his bare hands and a donkey donkey's jawbone, which is a feat of strength and stamina that is literally superhuman. No normal man, no matter how good of an athlete he is, no matter how tough or fast he is, a normal human could not pull that feat off. Especially if it's just your bare hands and a bone jawbone of a donkey. And then, of course, we see his even his weakness, which was his lust for women, especially foreign women that weren't part of, you know, the Jews. I mean, even that part of his story we see replicated in a lot of superhero comics these days. Oh, yeah. there A lot of the uh, books of the Bible have been plagiarized by movie companies. They just put a modern-day spin on it. Uh, even the Evil Dead series, and Army of Darkness, some of the greatest movies out there have been based upon something that is from the from Christianity. Like, what's the greatest horror flick that ever existed? Everybody would tell you it would be the original Exorcist movie, Demonic Possession. Everything that's ever been considered good in entertainment or in film has always been something. If you go back to the original, comes the spies. Well, the Bible's got spies in it, people who went, you know, and did their thing. You mm-hmm. want to talk about war movies? Religion's always going to be somehow involved in that kind of thing. ASMR says, as for Marvel, he mentions the Incredible Hawk. 
I forgot all about that, and I apologize. But in the uh, in the 80s, when they came up with um, Bill Bixby's Incredible Hawk, and that, mm-hmm. what's his name, Lufer Narando or something. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking yeah. about, yeah. I I watched I I've been watching reruns of some of that lately on Prime Video and compare it to what they're doing with the Hawk now. The Hawk, even though it's got good special effects nowadays, it doesn't look, seem realistic at all. But whenever you watch the Incredible Hawk back then, the acting, the emotion, and all that, you actually feel it and you get tense. Doesn't look super great, but damn it, the stories are awesome. Yeah, I've I've also liked. I guess I should add that too. The Hulk is a Marvel character that I've also really liked, but he's also kind of an atypical Marvel character because he's really just a big green rage monster that goes around smashing things, and that's something I've also found attractive about that kind of character. There's actually a character in the anime Dragon Ball Z named Broly. He's basically like the Dragon Ball Z version of the Hulk. Of course, he's a lot more powerful than the Hulk is, but he's a very similar character in terms of concept, mainly that he's also powered by rage, and because his rage powers him, his power basically has no limit. Well, the the Incredible Hulk, uh, the old show, kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Batman's issue in the movies. When you watch a Batman movie, they mostly focus on the character Batman, but not the Bruce Wayne. They did all right with Christian Bale, but even with Michael Keaton, they showed like a couple scenes what happened to him, why he became Batman, and he spent most of his time in the costume. But when you watch The Incredible Hawk, you actually, it's like watching two characters on the screen, and it actually is. You're watching a man who has suffered, who's lost his wife who had a terrible scientific experiment happen to him, and you can see it affect him throughout the show, him wanting to change that, not be like that anymore. So there's depth and substance to that show. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Nowadays, they just focus on the superpowers and what will sell toys, not the actual right. emotion that would be involved. Like the uh, 2003 movie Hulk, and then the 2008 movie The Incredible Hulk. And I would argue to an extent, even the first Avengers movie, the Hulk in those movies was also very interesting as a character, not just for bashing in the heads of villains, but especially in Hulk and the Incredible Hulk. They did a pretty good job exploring the backstory and also the Bruce Banner side of the character. And they explored that about as much as they needed to to balance out all the Hulk stuff when he's, you know, in his green rage mode, smashing things and destroying armies like Samson. You know, another thing about Batman too, as well as the incredible Hawk is, um, besides being more realistic, the villains are actually very realistic as well. I mean, you could actually see someone losing their mind, becoming a sociopath and dressing up in clown makeup. Hell, we even had a guy like that a while back was his, named ted bundy or some crap Mm -hmm. but you can't get behind somebody like um uh what the hell is that guy's name that came from krypton wanting to kill superman oh uh general zod yeah you couldn't see something like that some kind of general from space coming down wanting to kick the hell out of the little kryptonite kid or whatever that doesn't I don't know, it just doesn't feel like that's something that could possibly happen. But a person getting screwed up in a scientific experiment and then becoming extremely strong based upon drugs or radiation, 
you could you could go along with that kind of you know what i mean the villains the, it, the villains you notice whenever you're looking at the incredible hawk or, or uh, batman you remember the villains and you know their stories and you actually get invested in them just as much as you get in the hero that doesn't happen with a lot of marvel shit especially if you watch the early 90s cartoon show batman the animated series that particular series did a masterful job, not just of developing the story of Batman in that universe, but also with developing the stories of all the villains. I showed that show to my girlfriend, and she loves that show, but she primarily loves it just as much for the villains. Like, she loves all of the villains that are in Batman's rogue gallery and all the stories behind them and how they came to be where they were that particular show did a great job of doing that. And that's why a lot of people are Batman fans to this day is because they saw that show back then and they loved the villains as much as they loved the hero. And that particular show also was really good and balanced. Like it was dark, but not too dark that it couldn't appeal to children. And it was colorful, but not too colorful. And it had really well-written stories that were well-developed, lots of good character development. I mean, that show was basically perfect as far as uh, superhero content goes. I think the Spider-Man movies had really, really good character development, too. I mean, I, I never really... I remember when I looked at some comic books of Peter Parker, I was like, ah, whatever. They kind of jumped into the suit right away. He's flying to the city, shooting webs at people. But when you watch the actual movie, I don't know if you've seen the Tobey Maguire, the original Oh, oh I've movie. seen all of his. I love Oh, movies. wow. <laughs> it's it's sad, it's emotional, and it also says, look, while he's trying to be a hero, he's not doing good in school. When he's trying to be the hero, he can't he can't function or, or be able to have love in his life and stuff because of what might happen. That kind of stuff really, really made you care about both Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Yep, and then the Andrew Garfield movies, which was The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 were also masterful, especially at portraying that part of his life. Basically, you know, he becomes Spider-Man, he's fighting these villains, but he's also trying to counterbalance his life as Peter Parker, and basically his personal relationships are deteriorating with people, especially when those people start becoming his villains. <laughs> I mean, the, the those movies, I don't know if you've seen them, but if you liked the Tobey Maguire ones, You'll definitely love those ones as well. Oh, I, I've seen the Garfield ones, and I thought that he was an exceptional Spider-Man as well. I really like the villains in it as well. It's yeah. just, um, I don't know. For me, I uh, I get committed. If I really like a character, I hate what they've done with Batman, where they went from Michael Keaton and then jumped to another person, another person, another person. Right. You know, you get to liking that guy. You don't want to see him go. So <laughs> that's what they did right. to Spider-Man. Uh, Heavy Metal Heroes a couple of years ago actually did a parody of an NSYNC song, I think, where they were making fun of how Batman keeps getting rebooted. So they had like the announcement of a new Batman coming out, like the new movie. And so they had all the previous Batman in all their different costumes living in Wayne Manor as some kind of Batman retirement home. And then they played the music video. <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, Garfield so did many. good. But if you remember, because they rebooted Spider-Man so quickly, Garfield didn't get a lot of love. His yeah. movie ended up becoming a classic later. But when it first came out, people were hating on it. 
but to be honest with you, people tend to hate on, they hated on Michael Keaton too before he did Batman. They didn't think that he would be up to par for that, but he did. Yeah, well, I, I can explain why the first uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie wasn't as well received. Because uh, that movie came out in the same summer as Dark Knight Rises, the last Batman film put up by Christopher Nolan with Christian Bale in it. That movie was so good that the Amazing Spider-Man felt like an inferior movie by comparison. But it's only over time when you see Marvel going the way it has, especially with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. You look back on those Andrew Garfield movies and you're like, wow, that movie was a lot better than we realized at the time. We just had unrealistic expectations of it because we were comparing it to a masterpiece like The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, that's true. My my big thing was I'm able to watch two separate movies. It's I was like, why get rid of Tobey Maguire already? It's not like he's a hundred years old or something. So, well, and I think, uh, they, uh, I think they changed directors, and that's why. Because like uh, Christian Bale has said publicly that the only way he'll ever return to the role of Batman in a movie is if Christopher Nolan's the director of said movie. And the problem with that is Christopher Nolan has said he never wants to do another Batman movie. So until Christopher Nolan does another Batman movie, we're never going to see Christian Bale as Batman again. Well, I seen an interview where uh, they were asking uh, Christian Bale about it. And uh, Christian Bale, he said that he told the people, he said, look, we've made three of these now. That's enough. That's right. the end of it. So. <laughs> But also, he did say what I said, too, before that, probably, because Christopher Nolan is a heck of a director. I mean, I haven't seen every movie he's put out since then, but basically, whenever he puts out a movie, it is usually pretty darn epic in scale, and there's a lot of uh, realism with the way that they produce the films. Like, the amount of CGI that's in the Dark Knight movies is pretty minimal, and that's pretty remarkable when you think about it, because... 2008 to or 2005 to 2012 when all his batman movies came out was when the superhero movie industry was moving heavily into cgi and all of that stuff so the way that christopher nolan does movies is just something to behold it's pretty much an art form at this point you mind if i ask you a few questions about you because whenever you make your videos you usually completely invest in the topics and all that and i think some people might find it interesting like for instance i'd like to ask you what even got you into social media in the first place what was it that made you get into it and what was it that made you say hey this is kind of cool i'm gonna stick around what was the spark oh that's a good topic of discussion for sure uh well let's see Back in the, well, like you remember when YouTube first came out. So it was like the mid 2000s. So I vaguely remember being in high school and I remember going to my cousin Travis's house and he would show me all these videos on a site called YouTube. And I thought, wow, this is a cool site. These videos are really entertaining, really funny, definitely more interesting than whatever you're watching on TV for the most part. Uh, so yeah, I, I found YouTube videos fascinating from the beginning, especially if they were about things I was interested in. And then in 2011, when I was a student at Linfield University, I decided to start a football blog 
where I was covering their football program at the time, which if you know college football, NCAA Division Three, you know that Linfield is one of the uh, premier college football programs in the United States of America. They haven't had a losing season since 1955. And during that span, they've won like 35 plus conference championships. They've been to the NCAA Division Three playoffs numerous times. They've even won four national titles during that time span, three in the 80s and one in 2004. And even in the time when I was a Linfield student doing this blog and even the years after, I got to witness a lot of great Linfield teams that made deep playoff runs in a very stacked and loaded Division Three. So I started writing blog posts about that. And then I started tampering with doing like audio recordings, putting them on SoundCloud. But then at one point I thought, you know, it'd be cool to do like videos where I'm giving my analysis of the games that I'm attending. So I started doing videos where I would go like in front of the stadium bleachers or I'd go in front of the metal bleachers in one of the end zones where the students would sit. And then, uh, hold on. Oh, I see you send me that. And then I'd film myself talking about the game I just witnessed, giving a brief overview of how it went, giving some statistics. And then at the time, there was a website called NCAA or uh, D3.com, which is basically like the low rent version of ESPN, but it covered uh, all the Division three sports, including football. And at the time, they were allowing people from various schools to submit their own videos where they were providing game analysis. And so I would submit all these videos I did, not just onto YouTube, but I would send the links to, uh, or the original video files somehow, to this website. And there were a lot of times where I made the front page of their website, like the evening or the day after the games were done, because they'd have like a carousel of, all the different videos that people made analyzing, you know, the various teams of division three after the games were done. And because Linfield back then was a perennial top 10 team, a lot of my videos ended up being on the front page collage of that website. And so that's kind of how I got into doing YouTube videos. And then a couple of years passed and I stopped doing the football blog, but then right as I stopped doing the football blog, I got interested in apologetics. And then I realized, well, you know, I was making videos about football, but now I have this huge invested interest in apologetics. I have these thoughts that I want to share with the world because I felt like I had some insight into the topics I was reading about that I wasn't hearing anywhere else. And so I thought, you know, I'll make a blog post about it on a regular basis. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I realized, you know, I should start doing videos like that. You know, I should make video forms of like these blog posts that I'm writing. And so I started doing the videos about apologetics topics primarily. And then over time, I started writing less blog posts and just making videos more often until I got to the point in, I think, 2016, 2017, where basically I had abandoned writing articles and I was just making videos and I was putting out like 10 to 15 videos a month on average for like the next few years. And then, of course, I was a YouTuber at that point, but then I found out about all these alt tech sites that were coming to existence. So I joined as many of those as I could, and some of them I still use to this day. Of course, now I have my own YouTube alternative quarter, so <laughs> I've joined that game too. 
but the reason why I even got into making videos in the first place is because I felt like I had a unique insight into apologetics topics that I wanted to share with the world. And so I shared with the world through video. And then over time, I got interested in news and politics and current events and especially tech censorship and alt tech news. So I eventually just started making videos about all those topics. And that's basically how TTOR today has become a little bit of a variety channel where you sometimes you get an apologetics video. Sometimes you get a current events response. Sometimes you get an alt tech video. Sometimes you get a tech censorship video. Sometimes you get X, Y, and Z. I just kind of developed those interests over time. But the original but, interest was apologetics. i got an interesting question for you. And uh, I've been meaning to see what a lot of people think about this. But I noticed on Twitter, because I do follow you, obviously, you uh, reposted a, a graph where it shows that more and more people seemingly are finding their relationships online as opposed to going out and meeting people nowadays and doing that kind of thing. Do you think that computers and all that are driving people basically to be introverted or crazy? Give me one second and I will put that on the screen because I know exactly which post you're talking about and I just want to make sure people see what the great Brett Keen is talking about. <laughs> all right, shoe on head. It's this post by Shu. She wrote, the online one makes sense, but the through friends one and others almost dipping to zero. We are insanely atomized. How did you meet your significant other? So basically, this is a chart showing how couples met in the United States of America. And it starts in 1950, goes all the way through 2020. And you have different colored lines. One line represents through friends. One line represents through family. One says work. Another one says the bar. One says neighbors. One says college. One says grade school. And then the big red line is online. And what you see is that from 1950 to about the year 2000, well, at least for some of these things, from about 1950 through 1980 with things like grade school and work and the bars, is where the meeting couples in those places hit their peak. Around 2000 is when meeting people through friends hit their peak. But then over the last 20 years, according to this chart, we've seen the way that people meet in all those other ways, through friends, through work, etc., has all been going down. But basically over the last 30 years, and especially over the last 20 years, the way we meet people through online has been going up dramatically. And that's part of like the whole cell phone addiction people have, how, you know, we always have to have a device, you know, like this or a tablet or something in front of our faces at all times, constantly checking social media through apps, constantly on internet browsers, reading stuff or looking at stuff. Basically, information has ever been more readily available than it's ever been now on the internet especially with social media sites to share that information around. And so people are just, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. So don't think I'm a hypocrite not, or I'm pretending not to be, but a lot of people now live basically on the internet and their real world experiences are being harmed. I mean, there's people who are on the internet so much that when they get off the internet and start interacting with people in the flesh, 
they start experiencing, you know, anxiety, shyness. They have no idea how to converse with people or how to even adult, as some people would say. And I've experienced that a little bit. Like, I've always been a shy person, although I'm not as shy now as I was when I was younger. But uh, ironically enough, it was actually engaging with people on the Internet that helped me become more confident and less shy when talking to other people when necessary. But for a lot of other people, it's been the opposite effect, like their time on the Internet, especially if they are younger and they've grown up on these devices. Their social skills are severely hampered and they're not used to talking to people. And so meeting people in the real world just doesn't make sense, especially when you live in the Me Too era and basically someone of the opposite sex can make any kind of ridiculous claim about you and it's taken as gospel truth and basically your dating prospects are shot to zero by lies. Uh, It makes dating and meeting people in the real world less appealing and online is just easier for some people because they can talk more freely. And if they get rejected, it's like, well, no big deal. There's just, you know, the whole ocean of the Internet, plenty of fish in the sea, as they say. And so, yeah, it's just been trending that way for a while because people have become more technology dependent, especially when it comes to information. I've been noticing, though, that anxiety as well as antisocial disorders have become more prevalent now, though. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of people this they cannot seem to function whenever they're around other people anymore, and they don't seem to uh, know how to respond to folks whenever something emotional is coming on. And I think it's because the internet has desensitized a lot of people. You know, I I used to know this guy. He's still around sometimes, but um, he was a person who used to like hiking, taking walks, exercising, doing all this stuff. And uh, he eventually became a, a fairly popular, like a atheist YouTuber. Well, the problem was he was so into getting attention from his videos and doing what he was doing that the guy stopped going outside. He would literally go to sleep, eat his food, and then he would go to sleep, make another video that would take him a long time because he added effects, green screen, all this stuff. And uh, the guy literally... Uh, I can mention his name and you may know who I'm talking about. I was buddies with this guy until he started getting into some really weird shit for attention, but Onesian. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He went from somebody who used to go out, do things. He was even in the military for a little bit, but then once he got into videos, his narcissism just kept on getting fed. And literally that's all he ever did. The only time you'd see him recording or outside was when he wanted to record himself for a couple minutes and then he'd go back to doing his usual deal. That was his only reason for going outside was to record himself. You get it? Yeah, I get that entirely. And that's one of the unfortunate things about social media's emergence in the last couple decades is narcissists now have fertile ground for feeding their narcissism. And yeah, egos definitely get boosted. There's been a lot of studies in more recent years into social media and how when people get engagement on social media and when they get views and subs to their channels and their videos, a lot of dopamine gets released in your brain. That makes you feel good whenever you see someone sub to your channel, follow your account, like your post, like your video, etc. And some people, it's like a drug. 
they get addicted to it. And so they live for that social media clout. They just live for getting views and getting subs and followers. And that's literally what they live for. Like it's how they function in the world. And, you know, they can't function like a normal person anymore because they're just chasing that clout because they've gotten addicted to seeing those analytics go up and up and up and up, especially when you're talking about someone who's got like hundreds of thousands of followers or subs and they just see the snowball getting bigger. There's a real temptation for those people to get extremely narcissistic and really chase all of that stuff, which is something that hasn't been a problem for me, but for some people, it really is a problem. They kind of lose themselves in their addiction to their dopamine hits, basically. A lot of people have even described it as a dopamine addiction. Well, some people might consider what happened to me as bad, but I'm actually glad things happened the way they did because I could have seen myself easily getting into a rat maze with this nonsense. I got uh, I got popular and then I got slammed and, and knocked out of that category. But it got me realizing that sometimes, because I didn't know this, I didn't understand. I remember when I used to look at celebrities and they would cry on TV about how shitty things are, how they can't go to the store without being bugged. And I remember thinking, oh, you whiny son of a gun, you get millions of dollars and here you are freaking out on VH1 or MTV, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things you do notice when you start climbing People start having expectations of what kind of content they want you to make. And if you try to go anywhere else besides their little circle of what they want to see, suddenly they start drama with you. Number two, when you start getting these views and all that, a lot of people will start pretending to like you and care about you when they actually don't. That's one thing I learned right away. When you fall off the ladder... Suddenly, all those people that liked you and loved you, they don't give a damn anymore. Not unless that it's over, just like that. And you learn a valuable lesson about human beings when that happens. So I'm glad it did, because if it would have went on further, I probably would have been like, wow, I would have been so puffed and caught up in my own ass and stuff on this. I wouldn't have been able to know the difference of who's real and who's not. It's a valuable lesson to learn. Yeah, I've never had the experience of having a bunch of yes-men around me in regards to my videos, so that's probably helped a lot with my development over the years, but by the time I got into making videos in the first place, I was already in my mid-20s, so I don't think, uh, I don't want to say, maybe I'm, I could be wrong, but I feel like I'm not as vulnerable to that because of how late in the game I got, I was when I got on board with social media and making videos i just feel like yeah it's just something i don't experience but it could also just be the way i am as unique to me i don't know well the thing that uh the major thing that got to me that really struck me was when i first came to youtube i'll be honest with you i was uh literally a dickhead non-believer I was angry at the world. I was angry at loss and tragedy, losing stuff, and I was going off. But as time went by and I began to heal from some of the personal problems in my life, and I started to hang out with Christians and people of different faiths, and I got to be around this, like, uh, how do I put it, this kindness and decency and all that, 
you start saying to yourself, well, these aren't my enemy. These folks didn't do anything wrong to me. And you start growing up. You start saying, look, you know, what happened happened. It has nothing to do with these people. And you start making friends. Well, when you're in an atheist circle, you're not allowed to be nice and be friends with Christians or you're a, you're a bastard. There's something wrong with you. What? You actually, you know, said this and said that kind of attitude. It's like you have to speak in a certain way and they have expectations for you or you're nothing anymore. So, yeah, I get that completely. Uh, Christians and creationists are treated the same way by those kind of atheist groups. That's why I made a video years ago calling it creationist derangement syndrome. Although Christian derangement syndrome basically works the same way. Basically, the Christian slash creationist is always wrong, no matter what they say, even if what they say is in complete agreement with you. Because of who they are, their identity, they're always wrong, no matter what comes out of their mouth, no matter what evidence is presented by that person. Even if they're just saying exactly what you say, they're always wrong. That's the kind of worldview that these people have, which is why they treated you so horribly <laughs> i don't know if you ever had the opportunity to experience something like stick am but that was definitely something that uh really started moving me away from you ever heard of stick am are you talking about sticks hexenhammer 666 no 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 it's it was it used to be a website that you could go oh. And there were several screens already up where you just click on a screen and then you pop up and you get to talk to people. Oh, it was okay. really neat. Well, they had specifically religious rooms, atheist rooms and all that. And for whatever reason, whenever I'd go into an atheist room, people would be kissing my ass. There'd be all that whole, hey, it's breaking, whoa, blah, blah, blah. But then if a Christian came in, they would dump on them and hate on them. And I remember meeting Christian Hillbilly for the first time in one of these things. You know who he is? No, I don't recall. Well, he's a, he's a heavyset Christian guy. He's one of the kindest, nicest people in the world. And he would come in and he even though I was a non-believer, he would always say, I feel God is in you. He goes, I don't know why, but I'm just, I just feel like you're going to become a warrior one day. He used to say things to me like this, and I'd be like, yeah, right, whatever, dude, and stuff. But he would go, yeehaw, the Lord has made a beautiful day, and all this. But people would call him names. They'd make fun of the way he looks. And then I would say to the other atheists, why do you do that to that guy? He ain't doing nothing wrong. He's not hating on anybody or hurting anybody. They go, well, do you know that he has this view and this view? And I said, so what? He, it's his views. He's not like some big giant uh, charitable character out there that's going to like destroy the world by pushing a button. He just has an opinion. So I started hanging out with religious folks and some of these non-believers would follow me in and they would message me in private and say, hey, Brett, why don't you go after that little old Christian lady right there? And I'd be like, uh, Why? because you're an atheist you're supposed to tear these people's stuff down and i said the woman just asked me how my damn day was she's asking me if i'm doing okay how's my family and all that and you want me to just jump right into slaughtering her ass and all this and i i said no not gonna happen and they go what are you a bitch are you a pussy or something and I'm like, I'm like, I'm Brett Keen, and you are a nobody on YouTube, and you're telling me how to react to somebody or treat somebody. So yeah, that's uh, 
that's the kind of attitude I've seen. They're mean, dude. They're mean. So I guess some things haven't changed in 20 years, just where they take place has changed. <laughs> they you, basically want, just they, you, you basically just described YouTube's comment sections on atheist videos. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cruelty. And that's one of the things that started to get to me. They don't realize that I didn't want to cause people aggravation. I wasn't looking to take people's hope or faith away from them. I wasn't evangelizing. I was just a guy who was having a hard time with a lot of questions. But they thought, ah, he's a mouthpiece. They they looked at me like another Aaron Raw or a Matt Dillahunty, basically, type of deal. And when I started being nice to people and saying, I'd love to go out and have dinner with a religious person, they're like, what in the hell? You're not supposed to do that. They're the fucking enemy, you know? Oh, I mean, what do you do with people like that? It's like you're in a gang. <laughs> exactly. But when you first mentioned the part about the old lady who just asked you how your day was, and they're like, why don't you tear her apart? That just gave me a great idea for like a like a cartoon you could do one day where you're basically it's old atheist Brett Keen and there's just this little old lady and another little screen on your uh, on your chat room going, Oh, how was your day, Brett? And instead of like, you know, answering her question, you just look at her, the veins start to bulge on your forehead, and then you just yell out in the most like metal tone of voice you can. There is no God. Rip off the band-aid, you old hag. You see, the, it's you know how you were saying earlier in the beginning of our conversation how some things just don't matter to you. They just kind of go off your back like a duck and all that. Well, that's that's basically how I was. I get in there, I'm talking to people, and I just, I didn't see, oh, it's the Christians. I seen another human being that I was talking to, another person, and... I just didn't get it. It's like they wanted to have those sides. Attack, attack, attack. And just couldn't do it. So I didn't fit into that nonsense. Yeah, very interesting how despite their claims to be against tribalism, they're very tribal. Oh, they'll call you names and mock you and all that. Oh, you're you're uh, you're one of them Christian lovers. It almost sounded like a southern racist person. Oh, you're a Christian lover, are you? wrong with you right. exactly. so next thing you know you're going to be believing in a sky daddy too <laughs> you know it's it's hateful i'm and like why they, and ahead. that's when they turn to the eight that's when they turn to the atheist next to them go okay here's the talking unicorn your turn to talk <laughs> yeah that's literally how they did things and they would they would actually get a hold of me through emails and skype and say bro why didn't you do this why didn't you do that and I said, look, if you have this interest in, like, aggravating the piss out of people, then why don't you do it yourself? Why are you asking me to do it? You don't even know who I am. You just know I'm a guy on the Internet. That's it. If that's your thing, you do it. What the hell are you asking me to do it for? You know, I thought that was weird. Yeah, apparently they, they're just too cowardly to do it themselves, and they need somebody with clout to do it. Because when they do it, oh, they're so cool. That guy with 40,000 subs on YouTube, he really showed that old lady who the boss was. He really put her in her place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now I know what I'm going to do for uh, future video ideas. <laughs> you probably, satire, you probably noticed with that, uh, that's one of the reasons I've warned you as a friend and all that, that if you start 
if you do start getting bigger on YouTube or on these social media things, remember every time they call you out, they're going to want to have five against one, at least four or five of them. It's They'll never want to just do a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you because there might be a chance that they end up failing and looking stupid in front of everybody. The ego yeah, is this, and narcissism just won't allow them. And if they justify not coming onto your show and going one on one with you, they'll claim that you're going to rig the show against them in advance. <laughs> I remember oh, that one. I remember that one atheist guy last year. Uh, I forget what his I forget what his Twitter X name is, but basically he was talking about how I knew nothing about abiogenesis and evolution. And I was like, well, okay, then why don't you come on to the God TV radio podcast and I'll give you equal time as me and you can explain to me how and why I don't know a biogenesis and evolution as well as I think I do. And of course, his response was to give every excuse in the book why he couldn't do it. No, <laughs> oh, that is that's another annoying thing I see a lot too from non-believers. And I thought after a couple of years they would get some sense in them about this. You do realize it's theists who actually came up with the concept of science. So when you get these little handfuls of atheists who are saying, Oh, you know, because you believe in God, you're somehow opposing science. No, a majority of Christians usually accept everything science is saying, except for when it comes to things like origin, our existence, and consciousness. There's a discussion there. Now, a real scientist would want that. A real scientist would want you to question and become educated and talk about these things, not just go on your way after watching it on TV for a moment. Right. See what I mean? Yeah, and like, and like uh, Dr. Thomas Kendall talked about in the past on that one stream I did, I think it was last week, uh, he talked about how basically these kind of people are trying to control not just the definition of words, but they're trying to control where and when and how you look for truth on things. It's like, oh, you can look for the truth, but only over here in this highly regulated way. You're not allowed to go over there to explore truth. No, no, no. You can't. You have to be in these constrained boundaries over here. You you can't go other places to look for truth. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even see a point anymore in dealing with the bigger non-believers and skeptics anymore. Because if you'll notice, they'll say it's got to be on my turf. You got to do things my way, and it's only logical if you speak about the topics that I have confirmed it's okay to be talking about. Like, if you notice Matt Dillahunty, he won't ever go into a debate where it's debating his position and his nihilism and his naturalism. He walked out recently because he told this Christian how it's going to be, and the Christian turned around and said, no, that's not how it's going to be. I'm going to debate the way I want to, and if you don't like it, and he literally called the guy some names and got up and walked out of the debate. Did you see the video? I saw your video about it, but I never saw the actual video itself. But I might have to at this point. <laughs> yeah, jo Jordan Peterson, unfortunately, made that mistake uh, with Matt Delahunty. Instead of uh, being offensive, he decided that he would uh, be the guy that gets questioned and put on trial the whole time. If Christians want to win in a discussion or a debate with someone, they have to be willing to offensively go after that person's position as well, not just be there to constantly defend the Bible and all this. You got to say things like, well, where's your moral framework? Where is, 
you know, where do you even think rationality and logic come from? All those things I mentioned earlier. If you don't, the atheist has an entire list and plenty of evil I hate the Bible.com websites they can go to and just attack you throughout the three hours and then that'll be it. You know? Yeah, I understand that completely. It reminds me of my strategy that I use when I have back and forths with atheists and evolutionists and non believers in general. Basically, the idea is like what you said, you know, you go on the offensive. Basically, you get them to defend their position on one specific topic. And then what I like to do is not only to get them to stay on one topic and have to, you know, defend themselves and their view on that topic. I like to get them to keep talking because their natural response will be to say something quick and then try to change topics on you to try and get under your skin or get you off balance. But if you keep them on that one topic and you keep them talking about it long enough, eventually they destroy themselves every time. And so that's what I try to do whenever I have the discussions with them. That's a good way to handle it. Christians need to learn, though, whenever they're in a debate or a discussion, right before the debate even begins, it needs to be said, look, I am more than happy to educate you on my theology and whatever questions you have, but you're going to ask me one question, and then I follow up with a question after I respond to you. And that's how we're going to do things. And you lay it out like an alpha male does it. You know what I mean? And then boom. And you'll notice suddenly they'll be like, oh, wait a minute. I don't get to play my game. I have to actually give back in this conversation. You'll start noticing the intensity go up. Usually the atheists last about 15 minutes or under. And you'll start hearing name calling or, or some kind of ad hums. But you win. Yeah, and it's expected, too, that kind of behavior from them because they're not free, independent thinkers like they claim they are. Uh, oh, hold on. <laughs> Dark Moon said, and TTOR just gave the reason I will never any sort of enter any sort of debate. I'd rather just do videos on my opinion, opinions and let others do theirs. That Dark Moon is actually my preferred go-to as well. I generally don't want to have, like, debates with people although there have been some people like uh jeff doherty and uh, kenny rhodes in the past that desperately tried to get me to do a debate with them <laughs> and you know what's sad is we we actually did allow these people to come into the room while we were in there and said all right we'll have the conversation but remember i laid it down like an alpha male for him i said mm -hmm. look you can ask your questions but we're going to follow up with a question right afterwards and all that and remember how he acted he started going into like a child like mode just starting to lose his uh his crap live on the show and started talking about being a manly man of testosterone while having like the squeakiest most weaselly voice on the earth <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, or like when he or like when kenny rhodes told you that he was gonna learn you <laughs> oh, i remember that one the dark moon it's uh it is easier said than done i know we're all sitting here saying well i'd rather do videos and all that but like if ttor were to like be hitting on the trend tomorrow and then suddenly find himself with a hundred thousand subs if you get another big YouTuber who says something like, you know, if you really believe in what you believe, you know, you'll be willing to debate me and all that. And they put that over on you. 
you got to understand what that makes people feel like whenever they see a bunch of like an um, army worth of people insulting you and attacking you. Makes you think, should I? What should I do on this? How should I handle it? But the problem is a lot of these folks have already made up their mind. Even if you got into the discussion and you made all great points and you just spanked them all over the room, somehow in their delusional mind, they won no matter what. And that's what Dr. Thomas Kendall talked about in that presentation on the TTOR show we watched last week, is he talked about how basically atheists and evolutionists will define words and phrases in a self-serving way so that no matter what you say, no matter what evidence you present, no matter if you win the argument by every valid metric, they're the winners by definition because of the way they've defined things. And so, like Dr. Thomas Kendall said, it's important to control the definitions and the words and basically the rules of engagement for when you're dealing with non-believers. Because if you don't, they'll do things in a self-serving way to make you look bad, even if you're the real winner. And you have to, people have to realize too, that you may run into some non-believers where they appear to be nice or pretending to be respectful, but they will lie and they will cheat and hit below the belt, whatever it takes in order to be able to win in the discussion. So it's important not to let them drag you into something. One of their favorites is, oh, you you believe this out of fear or emotion and all that. That same thing we read about on Twitter. Yep. Although that did remind me of that guy a couple weeks ago who was on, who came onto this show and was claiming to be a Catholic. And then after like two minutes of talking, he just started yelling, Brett Keen's the N-word. Brett Keen's the N-word. Brett Keen's the N-word. He's like, my goodness. <laughs> See how easily they fall apart if you lay it out for them. They just, they can't control themselves. That rationality and logic that they boast about goes right out the window. He was pretending to be so nice. <laughs> I almost for a second there thought we were going to have a real conversation. Oh, the tragedy. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, ah, Dark Moon. Basically, it's just a test of who's got more moxie. I've fought those battles before and I found the bigger man walks away from the screaming guy in the parking lot. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like what Brett Keen was saying in the hypothetical scenario where somehow I get popular and I have like 100,000 subs or more, and then other big creators are like challenging me to do stuff. I think I'm pretty, I'm not immune 100% to peer pressure, but I don't think I would cave in to demands like that from a popular creator if they were behaving anything remotely like what Kenny Rhodes and Jeffrey Dodery were behaving like towards me. I, I'd like to think in that scenario that I would still be like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Plus to hear the ringing on their side in that scenario would be epic. <laughs> he won't debate me. Why? <laughs> or is that, or as that meme goes, debate me, bro. Yeah, I had a lot of people in the past call me out, and then I'd say, sure, but it's going to be one-on-one, -on -one and we'll do it on my show, and that's how we'll do it. And they go, oh, no, 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 because they want to have four or five people every yep. time. Yep. 
or they're just too big of cowards to confront you, even with friends. Because <laughs> that's exactly. another thing. Too. <laughs> Although I still remember before I met you, Brett, back in 2018 when I first encountered Kenny Rhodes, and I made a video about Hugh Ross that he didn't like. So he not only left a comment on that video challenging me to a debate, but he did that on my next 10 videos. And it was just like, debate me, bro. Debate me, bro. So eventually I left a comment back to him like, dude, you're supposed to be this big time scholar for reasons to believe who did these debates in the past against people whose names I recognize. I thought you were a big shot. Why are you scraping the bottom of YouTube to debate a content creator who has like less than 400 subs? Why, why are you doing that? And then he never really gave me a good answer to that. And I didn't hear from him again for several years, but but yeah, those guys are just weird. That was one of the reasons why. That's another reason why I started really, really digging and respecting a lot of Christians out there. Because whenever I would say, "Oh, if somebody wants to come on the show," Christians weren't afraid ever to come in and actually have a discussion or a debate or something. Not with me. They knew I wasn't going to play fastball with them or anything like that. They already knew the kind of things that were on my mind and that what I was bothered about. So I always, I always respected that. But people who, like, run and they, you know, like what we were talking about the atheists doing, it's just like, wow, you claim to be so damn smart. Now that we're putting you on the scale, you run. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, you mean it really counts now? Crap. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. I, what do you mean I don't have 10 friends with me? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> error, error, error. No, so what no else has been on your mind? What's going to be happening for Christmas for you? Well, for my church, a lot of things are going to be happening. This coming Sunday, they're doing candlelight services during the two normal services we have. And then after the services, they're giving away 300 food boxes to different families in our community, basically so that people have food and a nice Christmas meal. And then the night of that Sunday, they're doing a Christmas play with the kids ministry. And then the next Sunday, they have uh, another regular day of services, but then they have a 6pm candlelight service. It's an hour long. And then some point between those two days, they have other events going on like a holiday hayride where basically they hook up a really big like hay bale trailer to a truck and this trailer has like a cover over it in case it rains and basically they're going to ride around town on this trailer and they're going to sing christmas carols and drink hot chocolate and basically just have a good old time cruising the town <laughs> uh so yeah my church has a lot of things going on and i'm going to be involved with quite a bit of it at least on sunday and then uh christmas day i'm hoping to have off so that i can have family time and then hopefully I'm going to find the time to watch some Christmas movies, especially the ones that I just recently put on quarter as part of my little holiday treat to the quarter uh, community. Uh, basically, I just found like my favorite holiday films like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the cartoon Grinch movie from the 60s, etc. And basically, I just put them all on one channel slapped them on the front page of the site in the promotion section 
And that'll be there all the way up until midnight, December 26th. So that way people on quarter who don't have Christmas movies to watch for some reason have a few to watch. I'm going to enjoy some of those, especially on Christmas Day. Well, there you go. Is there anything you've been wanting? Well, there are several movies that are on my Christmas list, uh, mostly action films that came out like The Equalizer 3 or Expendables 4, stuff like that. And also, like, uh, other various items that I want. But I don't really get video games from my Christmas list anymore because nowadays, because of my own money from my own job, I basically just buy video games as they come out. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. What that's about good. Brett Keen? What's Brett Keen looking forward to for the holidays and for Christmas? Well, honestly, this Christmas is going to be pretty rough. Uh, my all because of the COVID crap that was going on for a while. My son got bounced around in his jobs and he got backed up on bills. He just recently got a a, a new job. I'm not going to go too informative into it, where he's getting paid quite a bit, but it's going to be a month before he can do things. But he's a couple months behind. So my wife and I, as well as my daughter, we've had to lend him some money and everything. So things have been pretty tight so i don't know if there's going to be a big old christmas thing there's we got the tree and a couple old lights up and all that but i don't i don't see there being a whole lot of stuff do you have any normal traditions in your family or any kind of christmas traditions that you normally do in the past well, to be honest with you, Christmas used to be a big thing in my family. I, the whole family used to get together and do things whenever I was a kid. But then when I hit 13, my mother and father got a divorce. And then my grandmother in the same year died from cancer. So I kind of got the hell away from Christmas. I was like, ugh, I don't want anything to do with this. That was around the time I started working my way into the stupid group that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> well... <laughs> When I when I brought kids in the world, I remembered how happy it made me to do the whole Christmas thing with my grandmother and my family and all that. So we do the tree, we do the lights, and even whenever I was still uh, working my way out of atheism, I never I wasn't one of these people who were like, oh, you got to change Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays or you know, God on money pisses me off, and every little thing that has Jesus on it, get mad about it. I didn't care. I did uh, for a while there. I believe that some of the traditions in Christmas were uh, uh, adopted or inherited from other religions like paganism. But I still seen it as it's a beautiful time of the year where families can get together. And whether it's Christmas or next month or the month after, every day should be dedicated to God. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know why people can't understand that or comprehend it. It's like, oh, if there's any kind of similarity, then it's no good anymore. Nah, that makes my kids happy, and that's all that matters. Yeah, uh, my holiday traditions tend to be, well, it's changed over time, but like traditionally in the past, what we used to do when I was, especially when I was in school growing up and in college, et cetera, Christmas Eve would be the day where my dad's side of the family would meet up, usually at my Aunt Tammy's or at my grandma's house on my dad's side. And basically, we'd all get together, 
We'd play video games together, maybe watch a movie or two. We'd have like a really huge, delicious dinner. And then we'd open up presents and we'd enjoy those new presents, depending upon what they were sometimes. <laughs> and then, you know, we'd go home and we'd engage in our own Christmas tradition of watching the ref before we go to bed. And then after we'd go to bed, we'd wake up on Christmas morning, we'd open our own presents under our own tree, open our stockings, etc. Then we'd have like a special breakfast of like cinnamon rolls and like eggs and bacon with like sparkling cider instead of juice or milk. <laughs> and then later in the day, we would meet up with uh, my mom's side of the family, either at my other grandma's house or at our own house some years and we'd have a whole nother round of dinner and opening up presents and enjoying those presents. And then like the rest of Christmas day would be enjoying all the, the presents I got. <laughs> and in more recent years, as we've gotten older and got jobs, et cetera, we basically just try to have a family get together on a weekend as close to Christmas as we can. And when everyone's available. So like this year, Actually, on Saturday is when my family get-together on my dad's side is. It'll be on Saturday, the 16th, because Sundays isn't very good for us, even though Christmas Eve is technically a Sunday this year. I'm just going to be too busy with church and family stuff to be able to do the normal thing. So, yeah, this year we're doing it on Saturday. And I don't know what I'm doing on my mom's side of the family yet, but I'm sure we'll do something. Christmas has always been a little weird for me on uh, behalf of the fact that I was born in December. I'm a Christmas baby. So <laughs> that always annoyed me if I did get anything. It was like, oh, what is this for? Is it for my Christmas or is it for my birthday? What is it? Right. But as, as an adult, I don't really concentrate on anything that I'm really wanting anyway. I just try to do you know, something for the kids and all that. And my kids get mad at me because they're like, Dad, what do you want? I said, well, I could use some new socks or underwear or something. You know, I am old. I need some something to keep myself strapped in. They're like, no, no, there's got to be something else. And really, I'm a simple person. I've been asked, what would you do if you won a billion dollars? Probably buy a better computer and go about doing the same thing I always do. There's nothing right. I really, you know, fantasize like some people do, you know. And probably donate the eighty percent of it to charity or something. <laughs> right. That's basically what I would do too if I came across big money like that. Is I would pay off whatever is left of my student loans. I'd calculate how much money I need to make my video site like the most banging thing you've ever seen, along with enough money to like have a good marketing campaign. And then whatever's left, which would be the majority of it, I'd probably just give away to church. I think that I might make some of the people out there nervous or intimidate them in some kind of way. Darkman says, maybe I'll just hit up TTOR show. This is TTOR show. I'm just simply hosting his stream through the thing. So are, are you nervous? Are you afraid I'm going to yell at you or something? <laughs> well, Do Darkman said he'll try to join us in April when he finally gets his better recording set up that can actually last, you know, for more than 10 seconds. You know what you should do, Dark Moon, just so you can get a feel for it? You could just come in the room and sit there and look at the screen so you can see what it's like actually being in the room before I ever 
wanting to speak or talk. And you'll see if you came in right now, you'd see that there's just a screen with us on it, like what you're watching out there. And just uh, imagine that when you push the button and you're ready, you can talk anytime. It's like that. Yep. It's pretty much just like that. Oh, ASMR, Mark. I already, I did read what you wrote. You said that I get kind of rough on some people because of their microphones. That's true. I've got a a pretty messed up eardrum and stuff from an accident I had whenever I was younger. And if I hear high frequency noises, it's one of the reasons I don't do a lot of music nowadays myself because that hits that eardrum and man, it feels like I'm being banged by a hammer. So if somebody comes in their microphone's going, Eek! you know, it's like, Oh, <laughs> makes me angry. Yes, very much so. I would be annoyed by that too. Dark Moon says, I thought God TV radio was your show. TTOR has one called the TTOR, if I recall. Yes, <clears throat> God TV radio is originally Brett Keane's creation, but he allowed me to co-host it. And then eventually, at one point, he decided to just let me... Uh... He told me I could just have it because you were gearing more towards doing the Brett Keane show, but I'm fine with sharing, Brett, the God TV radio thing. It's just that Brett gave me permission to use it and to do it as a podcast. And I thought, you know, that'd be a good thing to do once in a while. You know, have one podcast called the God TV radio show or God TV radio, where you basically just engage with non-believers and secular people and basically try to have a, a bridge, a bridge, a gap filling conversation, basically exchanging worldviews. And then the TTOR show, which would be more of a variety show like my videos normally are. So God TV Radio is something I co-host with Brett, technically speaking. The TTOR show is my podcast exclusively. Sounds good there, Dark Moon. If, uh, if you and Mark are nervous or at all about me reacting some way, I could out of convenience and comfort... If you guys come in, I can go in the other room, make me some hot cocoa while you do the technical stuff with uh, TTOR and all that. And then whenever I hear that things are going well from the other room, because it's the high pitch is buffered out if I'm in the other room, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I'll know when everybody's voice is working. No reason to be intimidated. Uh, me and TTOR, we enjoy talking to people. Unless somebody starts cussing us out or calling us names or whatever. We're usually pretty uh, chill, just like we are now. We'll talk about any old thing, right? Yep. That's how I roll. Oh, I, there has been times in the past, they probably noticed, I do mess with some people in comments to try to get them to come into the room. Like, I go, oh, don't be a tricker and come on in. Yeah, come on, baby. Well, that atheist who refused to come onto the God TV radio podcast we're doing to correct me on abiogenesis i totally played into his uh, worldview i'm like well i'm just a just a stupid creationist you know you should be able to wipe the floor with me and then you can turn around and use that video to show people hey look at this christian apologist i just wiped out on his own podcast and now uh, he didn't bite on that <laughs> Oof. i tried so hard too to sell it to him like dude if, if you really think I'm this stupid, just come onto my show, destroy me, and then brag about it afterwards with video evidence. 
<laughs> but no, nah, that 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 was not an enticing offer, apparently. Not enticing enough, anyway. I hear you there. It probably goes back to what you were talking about earlier, how basically they have to have control and they have to have at least four or five of their buddies with them to gang up on you before they'll ever entertain being in the same studio as you. Well, I, I think one of the reasons why you scare them off, TTR, is exactly the way you said you responded. It shows that you're pretty confident with yourself and that there's not really any way to embarrass you. You you already know where you're at and it doesn't bother you. It's not like you're marking points on the wall behind you or anything like that. So they're probably going, man, this guy might know something I don't, uh, you know, that I'm not ready for type of attitude. So they get nervous. <laughs> yeah. It just sucks that the people who have challenged me to debates are people who are such horrible scumbags that there's no way in heck I'm ever going to do a debate with them just because they're horrible people. <laughs> uh, especially that Jeffrey Doherty guy. Oh, man, he was such a raging douche when I made that hour and a half long video a couple of years ago responding to him on his points about the Apostle Paul and the New Testament and James and Jesus and all the other stuff that he was spewing back then. I mean, I triggered him so bad that not only did he do the whole debate me bro thing, but he didn't talk to me for two years. And then on Easter this year, he left comments on my BitChute channel out of the blue, calling me out again, challenging me to a debate. It's like, dude, I haven't thought about you in two years, but apparently... I'm inside your head so badly that you still can't forget about me. And you even decided to contact me on Easter. <laughs> oh, That's rough. That was, that was so funny when he did that. I was like, really? You still exist? <laughs> oh, oh, I've been trying- meaning to ask you, have you been looking into any uh, AI stuff anymore? Or is that something you kind of just said, ah? Well, I mean, I use ChatGPT at work and with my own content. Um, There is a new AI tool that just became available on a video that is going to be used on Quarter, but I need to look into it more and see how it works before I start, you know, bragging about, hey, we got this new feature and you should all use it. Basically, it's some kind of AI tool that based on the title of your quarter video, will give you suggestions for tags to put on your video and give you suggestions for descriptions to put either in the description box or in the search engine friendly box that's also on the back end of quarter videos. So yeah, it's something that sounds cool and would be definitely useful for if quarter was a bigger site in terms of its user base, but I need to do some looking around with it before I start bragging about it and marketing it. ASMR says AI is just going to dumb mankind down more. Uh, I, I think in some ways it possibly could for sure. Um, there are some things about AI that are annoying for me that a lot of people have been discovering lately, being that they're liberally uh, slanted. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Like you asked the chat DTP a question about, you know, can a biological man be a woman? The thing doesn't seem to be programmed with actual scientific facts. It sounds like you're arguing with a liberal whenever you're talking to the damn thing. 
And then Grok, the new AI thing that Twitter just rolled out, is basically the same way. Yeah, I don't know how it is that uh, Elon Musk, uh, why out of all the things that he could have used, why he would use that kind of software. I don't see any difference between it and ChatGPT. I can't ask it any important questions about anything because it wants to go into writing a novel about why this is not uh, like culturally enriching and all this. I'm like, ah, shut up. Just tell me what I need to know. Right. And in terms of Mark's comment, AI is just going to dumb mankind down more. It depends on what you use it for. Because like if you use AI to construct your content and you know, it's basically the content creation part of your content, then yeah, it's going to dumb you down because basically you're letting AI do all the thinking and all the constructing for you. But if you're someone like me or Brett and you're just using AI to create a description box for your video and for getting tags and, you know, maybe even an alternative title if you're stuck on that, but that's all you use it for then I don't see really a problem with doing that because that's what I do. And at the end of the day, that's all it does. Basically, I make the video. I say what I say. I'm the one who controls the whole content creation process. All this thing is doing is helping me word things in a way to maybe get some search engine optimization out of it. But other than that, it's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, if you know how to do the prompts really well, I've noticed that it's actually made things more effective for me on some of my videos as well as some of my posts and all that. Like I'll I'll post my thing first into the AI and I'll say, what would be the proper hashtags for this? And who would be the the uh, like community or group that would best be able to enjoy or absorb what I'm doing? And uh, it helps with things like that. Because you may be great at coming up with topics and subjects. I know I am. I can come up with stuff just like that. But how to actually, you kind of got to advertise yourself if you want to make it in social media. And if you don't know how to do that, then you're just talking to a wall then. Mm -hmm. So Mark says, the future looks very dark to me. We're going to have people dependent upon AI for creativity. And yes, that is a real danger. Brett and I both have videos from our channels last year talking about that it's going to become commonplace for men to sleep with teens women um yeah that's another unfortunate reality that's developing in front of our eyes at this moment especially with twitch becoming a porn site overnight <laughs> oh yeah i heard about that they've yeah. already we've been doing that for years but now they're basically officially saying you know what we're tired of dealing with this, so it's going to become like a porn hub or whatever. But the timing was amazing because they literally had just banned this popular girl for dancing topless on her live stream. And then like within two days, they said, okay, now we're going to allow nudity and now we're going to allow pole dancing and twerking and grinding on each other. And as long as you're not doing it inside of a legitimate strip club, then it's a-okay to do on Twitch. And considering that almost half of Twitch's user base is made up of people under the age of 17, I think uh, I think Twitch needs to be shut down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's no longer about the gaming anymore. It's rough. All, all that and you're exposing, you know, millions of kids to all this degeneracy. That's a huge no-no. Yeah. 
And there's and what's even worse is there's no age verification uh, tools or features implemented after these new rules were announced. Like you don't even have to prove that you're an adult in order to look at these streams where all this stuff's going on. That's the sick part. Yeah. At least with YouTube, if you age restrict a video, they at least have to click a button that says they're 18, even though it doesn't really stop them. But, but yeah, uh, Twitch isn't even trying, as you were saying. They don't even have that. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys can now be total degenerates, show everything to everybody, and uh, we're not going to put any barriers in, in the way to prevent minors from seeing you. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a problem for some time. Mark says he really believes the AI is going to take a dark turn. I believe AI has already taken a dark turn, especially on YouTube and Google. It's been used in order to keep people down and only uh, promote the people that they want. So it has already been weaponized. It's been liberalized and all that, but there's still... It's like with anything with responsibility or power, as Toby McGuire would say, you know, with much power comes great responsibility, you know. Oh, that reminds me of a story I saw a few, like a month or so back, where there was someone at Sports Illustrated who was writing articles for them. And then they found out that the articles were all written using AI, like chat GPT, like they were not original articles at all. It was literally AI-generated articles. And then they found out that the person writing these AI-generated articles wasn't even a real person. Like, their entire profile was made up. Yeah, they have AI bots that can do all that kind of stuff. And it is, it's going to get, I, I will say, it's going to get creepy, especially for YouTube, because they're already, have you seen these uh, videos where AI is creating Michael Jackson Queen videos? where it actually looks like Michael Jackson is dancing and doing his thing and singing a completely original song. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of wild seeing Fred Mercury, who's been dead for some time now, actually singing a new song. Hey, Brett, you're never going to guess who's in my Rumble chat. Who's that? Missing Mod. <laughs> oh. Yeah. She, found, she found my streaming destination. <laughs> Hey, missing mod. Just thought I'd point that out for you guys. You know, it's really cool to see someone follow me to Rumble or any other site from YouTube. Because like you know yourself, Brett, like when you have a big following or really any following on YouTube and then you start up an alt text site that you're trying to build up and you're encouraging all your followers to follow you on the alt text site and watch your videos there and share them around. Almost none of them will actually come over to your alt text site to watch you. Yeah, I've right. noticed that. I've noticed that. Yeah, so I see missing mod in my Rumble chat. I'm very encouraged by that. I, I appreciate it. I'm surprised that you haven't had the same issues I had years ago whenever I tried to open up something. Did you hear about the video site I tried to open a while back? I know you've mentioned it before, but I don't recall you telling me the full story. So why don't we make that story the last part of this podcast? Okay. Well, there was a couple different things that happened. I opened it up. I advertised it. And this was when I was still pretty popular on YouTube. 
well, a bunch of bastards came over from the UK because that's what the thing said on the uh, website and the dashboard of what was going on. And they were posting basically scat videos. They they mm-hmm. just totally mass hit my video site with that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the other things was is that back then it was really hard to have an American-hosted website without people calling up the hosting company. And then they would upload an ignorant video. And because I believed in free speech, I'd allow pretty much anything to go. What they did was they would call the hosting company and point to the video they uploaded to try to screw with me and manage to get the hosting company to shut the whole damn thing down. So, yeah, it's that kind of stuff. That's one of the reasons I said to hell with it. Screw it. Yeah, and I, I am very aware of that possibility, which is why the company that hosts Quarter is not just any hosting company. It is Josh Who Hosting, which is the hosting company that my friend Josh runs, the guy who did Josh Who TV and that you know is seeking the truth. He actually has his own hosting company with all kinds of servers, and he's in control of the whole thing. So that's why I got him to host Quarter, because I figured from your stories of the past that some atheists might try to get stupid and get me deplatformed before I get going. And so if they try to do that with my friend Josh, I know it's going to happen. They're going to call him up, make up all kinds of crazy stories about me and why my site needs to be taken down. And he's going to laugh at them and then go, click. (laughs) I used everything from Google to Yahoo, Yahoo's uh, hosting stuff. They used to have that going on to GoDaddy. I mean, you name it. I used all kinds of stuff. Didn't have a buddy that I could go through like that that had their own servers and all that and they had a lot of stuff knocked down. I remember Yahoo, I did something called the Serpent's Cradle. And uh, I went on the website one day and the whole thing had been hacked. Luckily, I knew how to, you know, re-upload all the material that was already there. So if people are running websites, you want to make sure, even if you feel like you got good security, you got to back it up every once in a while. Yeah. But you're right, though. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have Josh as a friend. I mean, it's not just like I know him and he has a host. Like, he and I talk on an almost regular basis, like almost daily, and we talk about all kinds of things, and he's shown me behind the scenes of how this kind of hosting stuff works, and especially how we've been lied to as a society and as a planet about how expensive it really is to, like, create and host, you know, social media sites. So because I know him so well, And because I trust him so much because of that, I know that when he hosts my website with his hosting company, he will not do any of the things that happened to you, Brett, with these other companies that you tried to host your site through. And he also offers really cheap prices compared to everywhere else. Because I've noticed with other hosting sites, their prices, with the exception of Namecheap, have all gone way up. It's just ridiculous how expensive it is to host a website or even a domain these days on just about every other hosting service there is. So at this point, my friend Josh's hosting site is probably the best thing for people trying to start websites, not just for me, but for anybody. Uh, And because I know him so well and because we are on a regular talking basis, I know that 
there's no way an atheist or group of atheists will ever get my site to platform by complaining to them. And so that's the reason why I haven't experienced the same things like that as you have. But I have experienced giant DDoS attacks. I remember the day I launched Quarter, I didn't have any uh, security installed on my uh, server to deal with uh, DDoS attacks. So within an hour and a half of Quarter going online in May of last year, my site got hit with so many and so many powerful DDoS attacks that within an hour and a half, my site was slowed down to the point where you couldn't even load it up. So Josh pulled out something called CrowdSec, which is an open source globally uh, contributed to uh, security system that deals with DDoS attacks. Basically, it has this giant list of the IP addresses that are attached to all of the DDoS bots that are in the database. And if any of those bots try to DDoS your website, the CrowdSec system kicks in and it basically sends them away before they ever get a chance to slow down your site. So technically, right now, my website quarter, they are trying to DDoS the crap out of it. They have for the last year and a half. But because I have this CrowdSec security installed on the back end of the server that my site is on, you don't even notice the DDoS attacks on quarter. That's how good this particular system works. That's so good. yeah. These days, they try to just overwhelm people of DDoS attacks, especially if you try to start your own video sharing site to compete with YouTube. That's when they really hit you with DDoSs. Yep. There you go, man. Actually, while we're here, before we go, because we technically still have a little bit of time, I want to see if I can find... Uh, .net. Let's see... Uh, I don't think he has because his old news website used to have the DDoS map. Let's see if I can find it in Google because there is a great website that shows you all of the active DDoS attacks that are going on around the world. Just got to remember uh, DDoS attack map. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, I just don't remember what it's called. Let me see if this one does it. No, that's. Uh, let's see. No, that doesn't work. Ah, I'll do it in another stream one day. But there's this great site that shows you all the DDoS attacks that are going on around the world. And basically, if you look at this live map, it looks like, you know, like what you'd see if, like, nukes were being sent from country to country. It's like... Oh, I remember I posted two links for you. I got two things for you that I would love to see you react to. They're real short. The first okay. one's hilarious. Let me bring up the other one, too. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know what these... Well, I, I, I saw the second one passing, but the first one I was reading about while I was on break at work today, and I just thought it was hilarious. Oh, you gotta play it. It's funny. Okay, well... Uh, hold on, let me pause. Uh, okay. 
much for coming on. And what do you hope you can do by taking the risks that you take so people can understand what you're dealing with? <laughs> I'm sorry, do you mind repeating the question? <laughs> Fuck off. Why do you, what do you want people to learn? Um, I want people to learn that um, Tourette's is, neuro, is a neurological involuntary motor and vocal disorder. <laughs> Fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. Um, I don't tick 24-7, and there's a lot of... <clears throat> little baby wings, fuck off. Fuck you, Chris. There's a lot of <laughs> things that people don't understand. Like, <clears throat> people think that cussing is, in, is with everyone who has Tourette's syndrome, but it's only in 10% of people with Tourette's. <clears throat> and how has it been? And she is definitely part of that 10%, just saying. And as you've gotten more famous, do you believe that people are understanding better or are they dopes like me who think you're acting? I say it's, I say it's the same. <laughs> I think there's a lot more people that don't understand what Tourette's is and um, they like to educate themselves more. So I get thousands of DMs from parents, from teachers, from... <laughs> girls that have been diagnosed with Tourette's and they've had to be kicked out of school for attention seeking because they rip up, they rip up their homework or do things like that. I've had parents reach out to me asking me, oh, my son's coming home with a girlfriend and his girlfriend has Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> so, and then I also get very evil people that would comment and say like, Go fuck yourself, Chris. Little baby weenie, blam up your ass. Butter your own biscuit, fat ass. That have told me that my parents deserved to die in a car accident because I'm faking my condition. Or people have told me that, like, I've had to have the police at my house because people gave out my location and said they were going to come torch my house. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Here's the thing. Clinically, people suck. And they're yeah. mean and they're stupid, and they try to make themselves feel better by going after others. Okay. And you are the antidote, my young friend, because you have my, my kids, <laughs> you have my kids <laughs> repeating your lines so that it's almost become cool. And not because, you know, it's raunchy. It's because you're being real and you're living your truth. And they love it. They love the bravery of it. And so do I. And I love how you've changed your mission. You were at university. COVID was tough for you, tougher than for most, right? Really blew up your symptoms. And now you want to be a physical therapist because exercise helps you and you believe it's a way that you can help others. A personal trainer, right? Yes. So I go to the gym five days a week and I go to a workout class, um, splitting it throughout the week. Um, I love exercise. My boyfriend got me into it. Um, I've been doing it for about a year now. Um, I love it. It's my it's my release. Um, I obviously go to the gym and I wear headphones, and that's also a very big factor in how fuck off, fuck Colin, fuck that bitch. Um, that's also a really big like part in my journey was starting out with him. <laughs> well. I love seeing him in the videos. You guys have a great bond. I love everything about your family. And I love the story you're telling the people and living your truth. 
You're and done. My kids. You're done. My, you know what? I am done. I got to go to phone calls because they're blowing up with support for you. Blow so I hope you can watch it at home yesterday. and listen to everybody who wants to say great. <laughs> It was rough, wasn't it? Oh my god! Well, first of all, I should start out by saying that uh, I actually have worked with someone with Tourette's before as part of my previous job as a caregiver. So she is right. Not everyone with Tourette's, you know, is like a sailor swearing. You know, uh, the one I worked with occasionally swore, but his tics were mostly like body language related. Because it's like the South Park episode on Tourette's. That episode is shockingly accurate in how it portrayed the variety of people with Tourette's. But the way that she swore at him, too, reminded me of when Cartman pretended to have Tourette's. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people out there. I don't know if you realize this, but that specific girl, she's actually a very popular YouTuber. And she's gotten popular from doing serious topics and then all of a sudden blow it out your ass she screams or something there was a girl on twitch that got really popular where she would you know yell or start cussing or she would just out out of nowhere just turn sideways and fart at the screen and all that and claimed it was Tourette's there's been a lot of people on YouTube who've been how shall I say exposed for pretending to have disabilities so that's uh, that's why she was on the news for it, not just because they wanted to talk about the the case. It's everybody that I've ever met, I've got a uh, my sister used to date a guy that had Tourette's, and he never you know would just scream out cocksucker or noises. He would jerk and he would have nerve issues, but he never like would say horrible stuff like that. The second one really really cracks me up. Yeah, I, I did catch, though, the part where he actually accused her of faking it. Did you catch that, too? I did. <laughs> and then the things that came out of her mouth in her Tourette's moment were perfect. <laughs> yeah, she suddenly started talking all normal for a little bit there. Yeah, and then uh, the stuff she said when she was having her Tourette's moment with the you know, F you and all that. I was like, I was thinking to myself, I wish I could say that to that guy. <laughs> Actually, I don't, but but you know what I mean. It would be so. Oh, sweet. I get to. He's a he's a creep. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's what they call a pos. Pos. Are you uh, ready geez. for that one last deal? Sure. Uh, oh gosh, Hunter Biden. Okay, just give me a second here. I got a screen share it. This will crack you up. This is a good way to end the stream with some comedy. All right. Now, I'm here today to answer at a public hearing any legitimate questions, Chairman. I'm here. God, that you know, I know that's fake, but I could see him doing it. <laughs> well, he actually has done that. He recorded himself doing a lot of weird stuff in the past, so that's why it fits so well with old Hunter Biden. Let me look up one thing before we leave because 
Babylon B just had an excellent article uh, about this. I just need uh, to look for it really quick. Uh, okay, not that. Let's try page two. Uh, where is it? It was about. I'm gonna go to the trending one. Hold on, trending. Because they at Babylon B just put out an article about Hunter Biden making fun of this. Let me try searching on their site. Uh, Hunter Biden. Hold on. How about closed door? Ah, here it is. Here it is. Found it. This is from yesterday on the Babylon Bee. We'll end our stream with this because this is just hilarious. Let me just get it on here. Share. McDonald dresses as prostitute to lure Hunter into closed door hearing. <laughs> That's what that video you showed me reminded me of. Oh, it? boy. <laughs> Let's read it. With Hunter there's Biden. Still, there's still people out there, though, TTR, that think that we there's still sides to all this. I, I don't trust a lot of these Republicans any more than Democrats. You know, they're just, they're traitors. Go ahead. Yeah, I get that. But this is funny, though. <clears throat> With Hunter Biden refusing to appear for closed-door testimony to the House of Representatives, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McDonnell cleverly dressed up like a prostitute to lure Hunter in to meet with Republicans. Hey, big boy, said Senator McDonnell in his McConnell in his most sultry voice as Hunter strolled by. I've been so lonely hoping a 50-something addict would come by and split this bag of crack cocaine with me. What do you say, stud? Although some insiders were skeptical that the ploy would be, un would be successful, Republican leadership remained confident. McConnell may not be much to look at under normal circumstances, admitted Representative Dan Crenshaw. However, those of us who have seen him dress in drag for private congressional parties can attest to the fact that he can certainly catch your eye in the right dress. If he has Lindsey Graham to help him with hair and makeup, watch out! With Hunter Biden initially refused, while Hunter Biden initially refused to comply with a congressional subpoena to testify, McConnell and the other GOP lawmakers believed it was only a matter of time before he would be caught in their trap. Just look at McConnell in that outfit, said Senator Tom Cotton. Who couldn't resist that? At publishing time, McConnell was overheard asking aides to thank former New York Congressman George Santos for letting McConnell borrow his dress. <laughs> uh, Ooh, that's rough. But given Hunter Biden's real-life proclivity to, you know, bang prostitutes, uh, this play in real life might actually work on him. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, you know, you, you got to be able to laugh at the things going on in the world sometimes, especially when it's a satire article, but then you read it and you're like, this could happen in real life. There's been like five or six Babylon B articles in the past. You know, they were obviously satirical when they were written, but 
but then they came to pass in real life. <laughs> so, you know, real life and parody, the lines between them are really starting to blur in recent years, and sometimes you just got to be able to laugh at it. <clears throat> Especially when it's good satire. That's rough. Well, hopefully Dark Mood and uh, Moon and uh, Mark will join us next time when we do something. Oh, gosh. Dark Moon. If I had a nickel for every time I heard the phrase, your truth, or if I had one for every time some joker says, the universe instead of God, I'd be richer than Elon Musk. <laughs> That's something I've been seeing on X recently, too, is the way that atheists and evolutionists will personify the universe. They don't talk about the universe as the reality we live in. They talk about it as if it's some kind of mystical deity that has powers and can do stuff for us if we just put out the right vibes. <laughs> Anthropomorphic. Yeah. All right, guys, we've been going two and a half hours. This is going to be fun to import over to other sites, so... I'm going to go ahead and get us out of here, but it's been a fun stream. Hopefully, if you've been watching on Rumble, on my Rumble channel, or if you've been watching through Brett's YouTube channel, hopefully you had fun going along this crazy ride with us. And as far as God TV Radio goes, I will see you in two weeks. But if you're looking for another episode of the TTOR show, tune in next week at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on the TTOR Rumble channel. See you then.